All right, say some shit. Say what up? It's me, Ethan. Hey, uh, Matt. I think the point that people need to understand is that you you have to know when to hold them, and know when to fold them, and, and when to fold them, and when to fold them. You can't. Right. You can't just have one. You can't if, just if be you holding have one, them. Yeah. Right. And, if you know when to hold them, but you don't know when to fold them, you'll inevitably drift yeah. into a time when you should have not stopped holding them. Yeah. Yeah. It's right. inevitable. You want to do it? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. In, in the way, and I think we should do it in this way, where at some point in the show we will make a reference to Prawn versus Gerald. Prawn versus Gerald. <laughs> <laughs> Prawn versus Gerald, an obscure like drawing from our childhood. Yeah, that we made that we both loved. Yeah, will somehow come back later in the show. Yeah, when Matt in high school, when bored in class, would draw a comic. A graphic novel, if you will, of a man fighting a man-sized prawn. Prawn versus Gerald. It's making me nostalgic, Matt. It, it, times used to be better. I mean, not, not, <laughs> not, necessarily, not necessarily the early aughts. The early aughts were quite fraught, but the 90s, Matt. The 90s. The nostalgic yeah. 90s. Do you think, is Trump prawn and is Joe Biden Gerald? <laughs> Who's prawn? Trump is prawn. Trump, Trump is, is de- prawn. Trump, Trump is definitely the, he's, he's, he's got an animal instinct about him. <laughs> and ancient and, and and Gerald who had long since thought he was retired and is old and aged and is called out to fight prawn one last time. We're doing. We're, oh my god! It's just it, we live in the stupidest time. <laughs> okay, should we do our thing? Should we sink? Yeah, we got it. I don't even know where I'm going to slip any yeah. of this into the pot if we're going to do it. But who cares? Hey, uh, but look, Ethan, we got to do the thing. This is uh, this is uh, Matt. Oh, uh, and this is Ethan. <laughs> and uh, and we are syncing up. <laughs> I felt like I sounded like Al Pacino right there. <laughs> this is Ethan. <laughs> annoying with apple products your beloved apple how they're always updating these ports of entry and i never asked for any of it and it's clearly a scheme designed to make you pay more for new things it's frustrating well i think well this is one of the things that i think like ultimately has led to like all of the things that are bad with tech was steve jobs and like all these companies like forcing consumers into the future you know what they Mm -hmm. determined to be like well, we're all going to take this jump together. We're, there's no yeah. more CD-ROM drive. There's no more mm-hmm. floppy drive. There's no more whatever. And you have no say in it. And they're like, but daddy knows best. You know, yeah. Jobsy right. knows best. Tim Cook knows best. And then I think this is what like, like Zuckerberg knows best when he is like <laughs> added features or done things. And then everybody gets mad, but he is like, this is just how tech works. We push you, you know, <laughs> Neanderthals into the future dragging your knuckles whether you like it or not and And then we end up in situations like this and we don't really make anything that you want anymore right update things in this very abstract world that immiserates you and we're going to talk about self-driving cars we're not actually going to get the capability to pull it off no 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 we'll take all the money and invest them into (laughs) the technology to think that we're making self-driving cars but do you think self-driving cars are going to happen (sighs) yeah 
I mean, in what the span of humanity, maybe, <laughs> um, perhaps. Although it seems like we're doing the idiocracy thing, and we might be regressing. So we might have already reached the technical, uh, the technological apogee of our civilization. Yeah. That's also that's also quite possible. Uh, I, I, I think the funny th- the funny yeah. thing about self driving cars is it's like you're f- you're making the most po- complicated possible solution to to like a man-made problem which is that like we built the roads to accommodate human driving cars yeah but you're you're trying to replace them with a whole new very expensive technology and it's expensive because roads are for people and not for machines but if yeah. you just like but like instead you need to like re- if you just built trains <laughs> you just built cities around trains how, like, how are trains are already self-driving yeah I, i'm just wondering if you got cut off by a self-driving car, how would you feel about it? Could you potentially have road rage? Would you have less of it? Would you? You would, would be, be so more mad. Well, this is this is my prediction. This is my yeah. exact prediction about self-driving cars: is that tech in general is going to replace so many uh, jobs that people are just going to be furious with tech in general. And the like mm-hmm. ambassador for tech that you're going to see in your everyday life is exactly that: it is the self-driving car that cuts mm-hmm. you off. And knowing that there's nobody in that car, because it might be one that's just looking for a parking spot or something, you will have no moral problem about getting mm-hmm. out of your car and smashing it with a baseball yeah. bat. This this Anton Chigor of machinery that just has no <laughs> empathy and Wouldn't just you? takes what it wants. You're you're in a dark alley and you see a self-driving car. You know, you put on oh. a fucking COVID mask and you just see a pipe next to you. Why wouldn't you just smash it up? I mean, Who people are cares? smashing. People are smashing cars that are owned by people now. That's why Jr. <laughs> Jr. Smith, the basketball player, beat the hell out of some kid who was rioting and was hitting his car allegedly, and he just beat the hell out of him. I mean, well, that's so how you it goes sometimes. So, sometimes you're beating up a car and it's owned by a six foot five professional athlete. It doesn't these go. Are the, so great. These are the risks you take. You know, you got to know yeah. when to hold them. You got to know when to fold them when it comes <laughs> to beating know. up a car. But yeah. the, the, but like, imagine so you knowing that this car is owned by Uber because nobody is going to own a car. Like in their vision of the future, no individual you're, you're, will own a car. You're a, you're a lumpen, be, you're, you're a lumpen proletariat. I mean, right. but, but, and but by then we will be so observed at all times that it's an instant jail and instant, life ruined and there'll It'll, be enough consequences. Well, so that's the thing. So then what are we going to do is we're going to make it illegal. You're going go to go get thrown in jail for beating up a car, but then there's a very fine okay, line. So, so you're, you're, you're sort of outlining this future and this problem that tech has as it tries to control everything, which is increasing the amount of control over populations while giving the populations less and less and less to lose uh, right. over time. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so now, okay, so now I'm, so, okay, so we've created a future where yeah. self-driving cars exist. They're owned by faceless corporations that everybody hates. Sure, even though there is surveillance everywhere, but it's illegal to assault a car. Like we've mm-hmm. made it a jailable offense to assault a car because it's somebody else's property. So what happens if a one security camera goes down or something goes down, somebody holding a pipe crossing the street claims they got hit by a car and the Mm. pipe just happened to fly in and smash the windshield. Mm. Would that person go to jail for getting hit by a car? I mean, I know people were made uncomfortable once stoplights started to have cameras on them. And it seemed like that was fundamentally wrong, even if it was more Mm. efficient. The idea of having no human arbiter there at the scene and having it just adjudicated by machines, it felt wrong. Now, can I say, why is that wrong versus CCTV? 
uh, versus cameras on light poles that can show you who potentially committed a murder. Uh, I can't really explain it, but it just felt wrong. It just felt yeah. like it was against people the are accountable to people. Doing. Yeah, yeah. It's too godlike, too. It's like yeah. God, you know. And who is the god? Well, okay. that is, is this going to segue? Is this going to segue to the big news that will have shifted perhaps by the time this comes out? But this whole uh, this this whole weird. Facebook and Twitter really mm. throwing in to censor the New York Post story on Hunter Biden, which is a story that I still don't completely understand. It, it lives in the vagaries of the uh, the Hillary Clinton email, uh, Michigas, where it's okay. I there's something Ukraine, and is he trading on his father's importance in order to enrich himself? And there's something about smoking crack. But I mean, fundamentally, I feel like I've got the scouting report on Joe Biden as a politician after 47 years and eight years as Obama's vice president. So it's not like I, I, I kind of wonder if anybody really cares. And it just seems like a very strange, strange hill to die on for big tech and for Twitter and Facebook to go. This is the story that we're not going to allow to be shared. And I'm very curious as somebody who is quite vociferously wants Biden to win and quite vociferously against big tech controlling our minds, I'm so curious as to your take on these recent developments. Yeah, so this is an interesting one. So I think the context that my, that like I needed to understand this is that there is like one of the like policies that a lot of these companies now have in place. There it, it isn't specifically in regards to hacking and leaking. So things like the Hillary emails or things like or or more specifically the WikiLeaks. No, 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 Hack and release, hack and re- hack and leak. You gotta know when to hack them, know when to leak them, know when to track them. <laughs> so I think that because of like what happened with like the WikiLeaks, Goosefer, like all that sort of shit, the like Podesta emails or whatever that led to you know whatever that led to PizzaGate and shit like that. A lot of these companies now have policies that specifically have to do with material that may or may not have been hacked, but through by, by basically by being stolen or could have just been fabricated. So I think that basically you, I think well, the like journalistic, so, so is this uh, to pull back and I, okay, well, I don't want to interrupt your point. Finish your point. Sure. Finish your point. So what's distinctly different about this case isn't just that they're, you know, blocking it or whatever, but that Twitter and Facebook are doing something that is typically reserved, a right typically reserved by an editor of a publication, which is to assess if the sources of a story are credible enough or if it's like are or in the you know public interest enough in order to publish that piece. So what these companies have decided is that the New York Post didn't do due diligence enough on this hacking element of the story to warrant them propagating the story that they don't believe that enough that like that the laptop that was found yeah. in some whatever place wherever the fuck it was really did think, belong to the, Hunter the Biden going story, and that the emails the Go going ahead. story now is that he he uh, turned his laptop in for repair and he didn't pay his dues and so it became the property of the repair man, which I didn't know was a thing actually. I, right. I, I well, but, not, yeah. but is so, but like, is any of that true? That's, it's like, nobody knows if know. any of that. Well, and, and this is, this is one of the inherent problems, even beyond bias. It's that there's no way that these tech companies could possibly figure out this whole story and what should be shared and what shouldn't be within the amount of time it takes for it to be a bombshell. I mean, these stories, uh, often pretty much 
many, if not most big stories are misunderstood initially by a lot of the public. And it takes a long time uh, for everybody to suss mm. through it and understand the real truth of it. And so making them the arbiters um, just seems inherently flawed because uh, why why would they know any better than anybody else, uh, let alone whatever biases they have? And it does seem to be a manifestation of what Neil Ferguson, I think, has written about and others, that there is this resentment against tech for what happened in 2016 from a lot of the gentry class of the United States and wealthier people in cities, and there's this sense of don't let it happen again. And maybe the issue, and this is true not just for them, but for journalists and everybody else, not to sound like Matthew McConaughey and True Detective saying that our flaws, we've become too self-aware, but it does seem that way where everybody involved in the dissemination of information is now acutely aware that their actions might influence the outcome of an election that they care about deeply. And so once they know that and they feel like they have that responsibility, it has a distortive effect on what they're willing to do and their ability to call balls and strikes and be neutral arbiters. And that's not really being held up to a lot of scrutiny by the people who want that outcome of Biden winning. But you do see people like Len Greenwald and others of the dissident left who are saying that this just this is not power that you want to hand these people, even if it's in service service of a goal that you ultimately want. And you're desperate right now to defeat Trump. So you're saying, hey, whatever you need to do, then do it. If you need to suppress that Hunter Biden story, then do it. Ultimately, we will all be the worse for this phase shift uh, in how information is controlled. Well, I, so I think that like the difficult decision that needed to be made was, was there enough credibility to this story to give it the tools, to give it the wins of like spreading a virus that mm. things like that, the tools that Facebook and Twitter built can do. Now, I think to me, it's like a deeper rooted issue, which is that they shouldn't have the tools to be able to rapidly disseminate this kind of information yeah. in the way that they can. They, can. they just shouldn't, they shouldn't have the power. Um, right. So essentially, know, they're, they're what's so interesting to me about this is that this is the first time they are taking responsibility in the way that many of us, and I think, you know, on both sides would agree they should for being publishers of something. They, mm -hmm. They're happening now. They're, you can, I think, draw a distinction of like, is, is it right now because this could be a potentially damaging story against Biden? Was that inevitable because the right, the conspiracy right is more prone to spreading this kind of misinformation about a politician in this manner of stealing, hacking, leaking, or manufacturing? Like it is completely plausible, just to say this, to take a look at that New York Post story and say, okay, maybe somebody stole Hunter Biden's laptop. Maybe they found some photos on it, or maybe these are photos that were hacked through some other means and could they have some someone running a disinformation campaign have just made up this email that exists supposedly on this hard drive or even if you take a look at that email it's not very clear if the the supposed meeting that happened well, because of I all these things even did happen there's just so yeah. many layers of questions that it's like, are is this the right line to draw and is it just happened to well, be and then, and because then it would be something that would damage the left do you believe that our uh, tech overlords are creating a Streisand effect where they're actually signal boosting this story in the precise way that the story is potentially damaging. Because again, 
I still don't even really know what happened with so I think, uh, Hillary, so Hillary's tries, emails, but right. it, it creates this kind of murky, there's something there, it's murky, and it, it almost creates a dynamic where it might even be worse than if you just had a tangible scandal that could be explained in one sentence. And by trying to bury it in a way, it signal boosts it. And I, I don't know. I don't even know how to assess that or measure that. Well, um, so you can think yeah. of it like we're deplatforming the story. They're, they're deplatforming yeah. the story. And does that work? And I think that what we've actually found is that the Streisand effect is no lo- like has been mitigated. The Streisand effect. So you want to take a look well, at a nation well, where the Streisand effect we, doesn't work. Look at China. Yeah. It does yeah. work. If you have control over enough platforms, I think that we can now kind of the Streisand effect doesn't work as well as it did at the time of Streisand. I yeah. think that it. I do think it, it sure shit works. didn't work. It didn't work for Milo. <laughs> for Milo, you're not right. Exactly. Or so. Or so. For example, <laughs> the pandemic documentaries that were like spreading around. Like the first one spread very quickly, but then the second one didn't so much because it was kneecapped by these platforms. I think what we're seeing is the problem to me is that we're all just getting bogged down in conversations that we shouldn't even be having because the fact that this whole this that this is the media setup is the problem like yeah. there shouldn't be a platform that allows the kind of spread that these company that these places do and there should be a much more vibrant ecosystem of media that we can you know feast on but right now their ad money is going towards these tech platforms that spread viruses like the wind okay. and not media publications that make discern you know discernible judgments over what should and shouldn't be put out. Yeah. And I mean, well, that, that just gets into a whole range of topics because I do, you know, Matt Stoller, um, I think he's another guy who might be in that Greenwaldian camp of being a dissident left um, perhaps. And he had a, a, an op-ed in the New York times that you quite, uh, I think quite liked that you, uh, I did. Yeah. Yeah. He just yeah. put a, he basically was, it's very, very often when people have this free speech conversation, they're not having the actual conversation, which I think is interesting to me, or which I think is the most relevant, which is that it's not that the fact that we're even having arguments about is there free speech on a platform like Facebook misses the whole point, which is that there is no free speech on Facebook. There's only Facebook speech on Facebook. They are a publisher. You work for Facebook for free as a writer. And you know this because they... Traditionally, a publication makes money off of ads that run next to things that human beings write. That is exactly what Facebook does. You write something, you post something, they run ads next to it. You are a very underpaid slave for for Facebook as a writer, as a freelancer. That's the business model of these platforms. They're not open platforms where you can put up a website or where, you know, or whatever, or even like email where you're sending private correspondence with people. These are advertised based publications, but you are the writer for them. And the actual issue of free speech is that because these publications are sucking up so much ad revenue, it's not going to publications that could be putting out higher quality art and higher quality stories and would actually necessitate some sort of conversation about free speech protection. Well, would we be better off then if the way people engaged with Facebook was everybody pays a dollar for their Facebook subscription or what have you? I think to me, the be- I think that there should be no... Nobody without a face should be able to have a, a, a account a on Facebook. So yeah. yeah, like, so a publication has like Facebook should be filled with faces, human yeah. beings, a user on a, on a social media platform like that. One, I definitely think subscription is the way to go. It's much better, but even yeah. still, it should just be human beings where you get into trouble is when we allow non-human entities, propaganda farms, publications, whatever pages 
Facebook is actually two projects, two products squashed together. There's a directory of human beings who share things. And then yeah. there is a whole ecosystem of pages, non-human entities, groups of people, publications, or like Trump, thing, who is the, an individual frank, who is an entity frankly, spreading the, things. Yeah. The, and being the, able the to pay Facebook to amplify them. Yeah. Sorry, just to say. And be able to pay yeah. Facebook to amplify them, which is how they make money. Advertisers fall into this group too. And I think that because this is why we have such a, 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 a we have so much trouble squaring this circle is because Facebook isn't one thing where rules should apply equally to everyone. It's two things smashed together yeah. and one that they're making money off of and one that they're you know <laughs> using the money-making thing to scramble the minds of. And I don't see them pulling back from that anytime soon. I know somebody who knows Zuckerberg quite well. And we were talking about the various motivators of people. And he was actually asking me, what are you motivated by? And I can't remember the, the different categories that they have. Um, money and fame are obviously two of them. And he said mm -hmm. that... Me, it's uh, just holding or folding. That's what motivates me. <laughs> holding or folding. Yeah, uh, knowing when to mean. walk away. Yeah. Knowing when to run. Um, and for Zuckerberg, it's money and power. Mm -hmm. Those are the two motivators. Sean Parker... Money and fame. Mm. Suck, money and power. Now, why would he change any of this if those are his two primary motivations? And the unfairness of it all really just helps him in a way. He can potentially nudge an election this way or that way so everybody would have to kiss his ass. Um, I, I don't know why he would change that. Now, Jack Dorsey, I don't know much about Jack Dorsey. I don't know what motivates him. I don't know what he's trying to do with his platform. Um, it always just seems yeah. like he's trying to, he's just trying to, he's just trying to address the squeakiest wheel is, I guess. I think, I think Dorsey, Dorsey has like these illusions that he's like a punk, you know, like that's where he came <laughs> out of is like the punk scene. And he's like, there's nothing more punk than making Twitter and keeping yeah. Twitter and not deleting Twitter. Like, I think mm -hmm. he, I think he like maybe at his core, he's one of these people who doesn't know the difference between why, good attention and bad attention, here's, here's you know, question. Why did these companies both do this at the same time? Yeah, I, so this is a really interesting case. And I think probably because it had so many echoes of something like the emails, the Hillary emails, both timing-wise, uh, but also as far as like the unsourcing and conspiracy that it can feed. I think what's different is I do think genuinely, as you kind of were alluding to, it's unclear to me if voters give a shit about Hunter Biden smoking crack. Like I, it yeah, seems no pretty idea. far away from relevance I, to what's yeah, going I have, on. Well, I think I think what's being insinuated by Team Trump is that he was selling access and that Biden is corrupt and that Biden is using the power of his office or was using the power of his office uh, to enrich himself. Uh, blah 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 blah, and I I have no idea. Yeah, I but it's like it's again. I don't know if, and I don't know what voters care about. I have no idea. We can get into election stuff later. Yeah, yeah. Because but I, I, find, I, I find that I, very I, in, yeah. I, I because I find it very interesting functionally because well we we can get into it later. But I think that's that's like the that's the bullseye the Trump campaign is going for, and I say that without knowing much about the story itself. A, knowing the veracity of the story, and B, <laughs> having any understanding of whether even if you proved everything to a T, voters would care Would give a shit, yeah. Because it seems like most people have made up their minds um, already as to what they're going to do in that ballot box. Yeah, and I just can't imagine this sway as somebody one way or the other. But are all those things aside, I really – and I, I, I well, think you okay, you know aside. what? It could. Right, let me, let me say that it could. I sure. think that there are people who want to vote Trump who are looking for a permission structure – 
to do, do it. So. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. And so with Biden, you know, maybe that permission structure isn't totally there and he seems like a pretty genial guy and he kind of has been like Floyd Mayweather, just not really giving you a whole lot to punch at um, as he dodges and ducks away from doing TV interviews. And so maybe this story is the permission structure for some people of, well, he's corrupt too. And so now I don't feel so bad about shifting in the other direction. I can conceive of such a person without knowing whether they exist. I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're going to look for, if you need a reason to do it, you're going to do it. And if you're not going to vote for Trump because of the a bajillion reasons, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. I, Who knows what can sway an election? Could this be it? But regardless, I think that the the tech companies chose this point to become an editor. Like that's what they became in this moment. They finally yeah. they finally well, admitted but, essentially. But, but, but what's so terrible? Edit- what's so terrible about the optics of it is that they've already foreto- foreshadowed their involvement in the election a few weeks from now and said that we're not going to let anybody declare victory. And this is not the right time, I think, <laughs> to look completely biased towards one side. I don't think that's stabilizing to the country. If you're going to be an arbiter, you need to you need to seem like you're an unbiased arbiter before jumping in on November 3rd um, and saying, I don't know that Biden's the president or Trump's not the president, even though he says he is, it's easier to do, it's easier to do that if you have less of an established, uh, image of putting your whole hand on the scale as opposed to your thumb on the scale. And I don't even know if they're aware of that. I don't even know if they care, what do you, but I what think do you, it's destabilizing. Let me ask this yeah. question. Cause to me, it's like, what do you, yeah. if, if Twitter and Facebook just shut down, between now and the election, what do you do? You, what do you what do you think that would feel like, and what do you think would happen? Oh, I mean, it'd be, feel good. Wouldn't that I, feel I, I so good? <laughs> it would feel so good. I can't let's think of it. something that would feel better. Yeah, let's than go that. North North Korea, baby. Let's, but, uh, let's literally, <laughs> but my mind, it feels to me like a bath. It feels like a warm bath in uh, my brain yes. to think about yes. that. But I, but like to think of that frame of like why like are these entity is just by existing doing more harm than good oh, on all yeah. of these accounts. I think I think we cross that particular Rubicon where we could say, "Oh, you know, don't be this nostalgist and it's, you know, people always say this. They're always Luddites. They always say the new technology is bad." And then we look back and they seem ridiculous, but right. I think we have enough information to go on right now to say that it's destabilizing, it's making people hate each other, it's ripping the country apart, and when it was happening during the Arab Spring. I think we all looked across the water and A, we might have said, we're inspired by this. Democracy <laughs> is happening. Oh my God, these autocrats are getting overthrown through the power of Facebook and Twitter and it's wonderful and it's amazing. Or if you weren't inspired by it, you might go, oh, that's over there. But those societies, you know, they're not advanced They needed societies. shaking up. They needed to... Yeah, yeah, and if they get shaken up a little bit, they're destabilized. Nothing like that would ever happen here. We wouldn't have a like civil war caused by social media. That's ridiculous. And now I don't think people are laughing at that prospect it seems far more realistic a scenario and it is due to the nature of these technologies these algorithms that divide people that make people hate each other to drive up engagement 
Um, and you see the results, and it's not it's not good. I don't think that we're in a better place societally than we were 10 years ago. I just don't think so, and I don't think most people think so either. And yeah. they blame the technology, and they should blame the technology. I don't necessarily blame the technologist. I do think, to quote some of the people involved in The Social Dilemma, they didn't know it would be all this. They didn't mm. know this is where it was all heading. They only saw the good things uh, that they were doing. They didn't have a proper respect for the downsides. But you know, the downsides are immense, man. It, it really feels like it's pulling us apart. Yeah, what would you think about The Social Dilemma? I thought what you thought, which is um, it was a good primer for a lot of people on how the technology is gaming you and surveilling you and manipulating you. And there are these corny after-school special aspects mm -hmm. of the documentary. But to your – I think you said to me when we were on the phone that for a mom, right, for somebody yeah. who's not so engaged, it's a really good, okay, this is what's happening. And it was also very – I think it was pretty objective. I think it was pretty objective. It didn't. Yeah. Well, they made anyway. this yeah. like silly, you know, like radical centrist, you know, they made, which yeah. is like, which, but like, you know, I think you critically understand like, okay, they're trying to just show how this could be a neutral. They're, they're trying to get the stuff. maximum. They're trying to get the maximum amount of people to say that, Hey, this is a problem. Right. They're using the creepy looking kid from righteous gemstones to do it, <laughs> whatever. Um, like and that. so I would give it, I would give it a thumbs up. Um, I, I, yeah. So I, yeah. a lot of this too, this is in reaction to, I think like a lot of the like tech reporters and people that I follow or the, and the, whose work I read, a lot of them like shit talk, the social dilemma in a very weird, like butthurt way where yeah. they're, where they're a lot of them are like, I can't believe the social dilemma is like not covering this aspect of it, but also that uh, it's so corny and lame. And like, I hate all of these tech reporters hate it. And I can't think, but like and all of these non-tech people are texting me going, holy shit. Yeah. You know? And I, and yeah. uh, to the point that like tech reporters are like social dilemma borders on mis the exact kind of misinformation that they <laughs> are criticizing people for, for, <laughs> for, for spreading. And I'm, but I'm sitting here like, no, I mean, this is, yeah, this is a mainstream it, it is an version of it is what an, these things are. It is an important lesson for the American people to learn that the way these products come to you is by addicting you because that yeah. is not normal for products that you use. You know, I, I got I got a car recently because we needed a second car. The idea is that the car manufacturer builds a nice car that we want. Not that they're building a car that we're addicted to. <laughs> well, it's got, yeah, this little, it. it's got this ball rumbler underneath so that like, you come a little bit when you, if you ride in the car. If you ride in the car for two hours, it will make you ejaculate, which is incredible. My wife loves it too. There's a female rumbler setting. Like, but you gotta I mean, stay in the car for over two hours. You gotta go on and really long journeys. And that's before we even get to the ways in which it's pulling people apart and making people hate each other and stoking civil war. Is just that it is an inherently addictive product. Just the explanation of why does Instagram tell you that a particular person liked your photo, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. liked a photo without showing it to you? It's for you to go back to the platform to engage in it more. And yeah, all the little Pete Campbells. Like, yeah, it was corny, but it was. This is what's happening. Yeah, Pete this Campbell. Is, Pete this Campbell's is exactly. Simple. It is a good visual representation of what is going on. So yeah, I, it struck me as very strange that journalists couldn't get on board with this. I, I don't. By the way, I don't feel properly surveilled a little bit. I feel like I'm fed a lot of ads that I have no interest <laughs> in. I think that's the funniest thing about all this is that there, like, or is that these 
at this advertising scheme that has completely toppled journalism, online art, it isn't even very good. The study I saw was that it's for targeted advertising in general is about 4% better than non-targeted advertising, well, which is they, barely they, anything. And yeah, most yeah. people's experience is that I don't, I see the same ad for a spinning top everywhere I go I, that I haven't <laughs> bought. I see like a lot of these ads are not good and it doesn't mean I've never bought were you, anything. Were you, were you, were you like stopped? up for Hanukkah or you just no, they're like the inception <laughs> top for some reason oh. I think my psychological profile is like inception <laughs> super fan because I like like <laughs> cerebral thrillers or something I don't know what the fuck it is but it's like exactly a knockoff it's called forever spin the company and like the taglines are like always old like never old never new <laughs> it's never like old metal, never new and it's a metal spinning top from inception but the, like which itself is a totem to make you know if you're in reality or not so imagine being chased around by that ad on the internet <laughs> where you're already not sure if this is reality or not. Oh my God. Um. <laughs> I see this ad constantly. Mm. Some days it's the I, only I, ad I see. I can't avoid thinking about the election in, in a very analytical way. And all I want to do is talk about it, Matt. That's all I, I want to do is talk about it. You just want to scratch the itch. You want to play with the but, loose But I have, nobody, I have nobody to talk about it with in a way because everybody is so emotionally engaged in it that nobody can do the reptilian analysis, <laughs> I mm. feel like. What do you mean? It's just impossible. Like, what, are you, what are you looking for? Well, I'm just fascinated by this this discrepancy, these two trends that are in the opposite direction and what the hell it means. And mm -hmm. to explain to people um, what tends to be predictive of who's going to win an election are registration trends. Mm -hmm. It's who is gaining the registration game in the battleground states. That, that tends to be how it's done. Um, Obama making huge gains – uh, in 2008, in say Pennsylvania and Florida, uh, presaged him dominating those states and winning by a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. When he lost a registration edge in those states uh, in 2012, in 2012 he still wins those states but by less. And then you know 2016 happens, and that one's actually a little interesting because it more held steady. It was obviously a very close election, but uh, at least nationally, but the registration trends held a little steady. And at that point, you kind of have to defer to the polls, right? Mm -hmm. if, the, if you can't divine anything from registrations, you need to defer to the polls, or at least that's the only option you have. Now, we have a situation where the Republicans have uh, gained registrations in the battleground states, but Trump is just getting brutalized in the polls. And I don't know what the hell to make of that you know mm. you've got florida republicans gain 200,000 roughly registrations pennsylvania republicans gain roughly 200,000 registrations north carolina i think it's about 150 um and this is that, based on people i registering as republican or yes. is it because people are registering in republican areas but specifically people, they've checked the republican it, box yeah it's people registering as republicans mm. since 2016 is the the time frame i'm using mm -hmm. and I just – I don't know what to make of it and I think it's feeding into this whole sense right now that people have with Facebook, with who's going who's going to be winning, who's going to call it an election night with however much uh, counted where people just don't know what reality is anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I don't know what reality is anymore. I'm just well, it's like we're supposed to I want, have I want more – somebody to, I want somebody to explain it to me because these two trends are irreconcilable trends. Well, it's a case, too, of like the more information you have, it doesn't actually make you better at predicting anything. <laughs> 
Yeah. Like it did, you know, we think we should have more information than ever before, and yet society is no better, and we are no better at predicting outcomes. Well, than we were I will before. be fa- okay. I, I'm fascinated in it for this reason: a, because I'm just fascinated by whatever the hell is going to happen. Yeah. In the election, b, will everybody I know have gaslit themselves a second time? <laughs> <laughs> like, will they have will they have deluded themselves a second time, and what the hell would that mean? I mean, I don't know what that would do psychologically. There is this kind of sense of, and I do think I'm bringing it back. I'm bringing it back because I do think a lot of the angst and the call for Facebook and Twitter to do something about the flow of information and to not let 2016 happen again, I do think is based on this premise that you are more amenable to that Facebook had a big hand in the election outcome and the emails, the Comey emails had a big hand in the election outcome. And if only that doesn't happen again, then all will be right with the world and Biden will win and you'll no longer have this unstable, crazy person uh, as the president. And I'm just not as convinced by that. I, I tend to see his support as more robust and I tend to see what happened in 2016 is less aberrational and less of uh, this kind of freak outcome that could have been easily narrowly avoided. And so I just, in a way, would you know want the tech companies to maybe have less of a heavy hand because as influential as I think they are, I, I don't necessarily think that they, in this instance, even have as much influence as they think, which is a weird position. But I don't think that they're at Yeah, it's well, it's like, which is true? Are they heavily yeah. influential or do they over... This is the argument that people make about Cambridge Analytica is that they didn't actually do uh, okay, what they okay. said they could do. Yeah, I think they have more influence than they have power because they're not surgeons about it. They have a lot of influence. They can Nobody make can something... wield this fire hose. Nobody can wield yes. this out of control. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're instance, all just bucking around on it. Yeah, and you know, for instance, we, we were saying, okay, maybe there's no such thing as a Streisand effect, but I log on to Twitter today and I look and the trend is Washington Post says that it's not true that Joe Biden sold access to his son to uh, Ukraine or, or whatever. And I'm reading, I'm going... I'm not even thinking about this story. And just because you put the knot in yeah, it, yeah, yeah. you still put the sentence. Now like, I didn't even have like the sequence of events. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't even have the sequence of events. And now I'm like thinking, well, did he, or like what's there? And I'm just thinking this is repeated over and over. And you have all this. Justin, power. Have, Joe Biden has not decapitated a time. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Whoa, whoa, I don't, whoa, whoa, it's like, I, I don't, I don't benefit at all. But from who, a did, headline. But who did do it? It's like, you know, you don't benefit at all from a headline that's blasted it out to everybody on Twitter that says Matt Kleiman did not have kitty porn in his house. You know, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you know, like you're better off if that doesn't exist in the first place. So there is something a little bit ham-fisted and heavy-handed that I do think can backfire. Here. Well, so I what so what's interesting, and I think what we're getting at is, and this is a term that that these companies use a lot too, is authentic behavior. Like mm-hmm. what is and like the idea of an election is that it's a measurement of people's authentic feelings and behavior mm. and that off like what people really feel. Well, it's like what does the populace of America really feel and how just and, and, just and just how, wait just wait till Americans learn that the voter files are uh, bought and sold and traded to advertisers and all this information <laughs> is categorized. <laughs> well, but, but sure, yeah. but then but then used to influence them. I and this is what the social dilemma gets at is what they're selling, buying and selling 
doing are behavioral predictions, right? That's what Shoshana Zuboff, the great Shoshana Zuboff. Yeah, they're selling their ability to, and they're claiming that they're really good at changing people's behaviors. So if mm -hmm. all of this technology, and, and we don't even know how it's changing people's behaviors, but we all agree that it does, and yet we have something like a democratic election, which is meant to measure people's authentic desires and wants. But mm -hmm. so then it's like, okay, are people's authentic desires and wants so easily malleable that they can be changed by technology or money or messaging or propaganda, or is it something discrete and measurable enough that it's worth running a whole country through it. And like, that's like, that's like the paradox of a democratic election in a world in which we believe people's behavior and authentic thoughts can be changed. It, yeah. it, it's a very like mushroomy, well, like what is, real, what is, what is, what is right. And, thought. and, and I feel like the gap has never been larger between people's private thoughts, at least in my industry and people's public display of those thoughts. But at a certain point, you have to wonder if you become your public display just to prevent cognitive dissonance from happening. Um, well, you have to necessary. now, everybody is now a public figure in, in their own little way. And so, and you can't be a public figure without that influencing who you are to some degree. But anyway, but you feel like people have secret thoughts. So you're saying people in sports no longer oh, want sports I to be know. president? Um, no longer want sports to be president. Well, <laughs> yeah, isn't that what everybody wants? Everybody in your industry just wants sports to be president? <laughs> president sports. Well, the people yeah. in my industry quite like Adam Silver, so maybe they would want him to be president. Ah, well, the, he defeated the Corona. He had, had no, uh, no infections in, in the bubble. The bald um, bubble master himself. The old bubble, the old bubble man, the old bubble master. It's people are terrified in media. I mean, I might write about this, but they're terrified. They don't want to get fired. They don't want to get canceled. And that animates a lot of what they say, and they can never admit it. They never want to admit that. That looks bad. You look like a coward. You look fearful. So there's just a back channel of private conversations of, I can't share this, I can't share that. Um, and these are people who mostly vote Democrat and whatnot, but they are completely terrified. And it informs their experience of what they share. And I think the big question is, do people ultimately become what they share and what they signal or do they resent the humiliation of having to be have to pretend to be a different person and when they get in that ballot box they uh they they do something different i think is a big question right now in yeah well society. but this but this is like do you tweet in support of biden and vote in support of trump that seems yeah does does that, that person exist to me well that's why i'm saying that i think that there might be a bit of cognitive dissonance that would that would that would almost be too much i think the more realistic example is do you tweet in support of biden and then you don't show up to the polls you know mm. you, you don't show up you don't believe in it that much. You're not that into what you're doing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem that great. You feel like you're dragged along versus a 2008 Obama vibe where it's, oh, hell yeah, I'm going out to the polls. This is like living in history. This right. guy's awesome. Um, it's a completely different dynamic. And so, yeah, I don't think that there are a bunch of I don't think there are a bunch of shy Trump voters in media or not, let's say like not shy Trump voters, but like deceitful Trump voters. Well, but voters. like, okay, well, just to take your bait here and yeah. just like, like, uh, like, uh, <laughs> like I'm enthusiastic about Biden 
in the way that I'm really excited to vote against Trump. Like I couldn't be yeah. more pleased. Uh, I'm not like a, you know, like That's I'm a- okay with Biden. I'm not like a, I hate Biden and like you fucked over Bernie or whatever, you know, whatever, if that's a real thing or not, or whatever the fuck that was, I I'm, yeah. I'm like fine with it. I think he'll be fine. I, I, whatever in many ways, he's I'm a one a, issue voter. He's, and, he's, and air, he's, been, he's air, you're hungry and he's airline food. Is what <laughs> kind of, yeah. And you know, sometimes you can be really like you get airline food on the way to like Hawaii. Or Japan. I, I do like, like the cheese, the cheese and the fruit, you know, so every like once that in a while, Yeah. Every once in a while, it's yeah. really good. And I, whatever, I think it'll be fine. It's not going to kill me. It's, but whatever, but I'm not actively tweeting about like how great Joe Biden is and how inspired <laughs> I am. Well, I mean, I probably wouldn't I'm not nobody, like a political tweeter in is, general. The, the funny thing is nobody is. And right. I, there's even a sign I drive by whenever I drop my son off in Berkeley. And it's just this house that is blanketed in political paraphernalia, um, just blanketed with all these remember November 3rd and Amy McGrath vote for her over McConnell and just every single, every, yeah. Well, that's what's weird when I see this stuff out here. I'm writing in I, that race. I'm going to write in yeah. a whole race that I'm not that is not in my jurisdiction. It's so strange. It's like we we don't have any real influence over what happened. Well, maybe the guys up there in the Bay Area in Silicon Valley do, perhaps. But yeah, you know, yeah. out, at, at your house, I don't think so. But there there's a sign that says. It doesn't matter if you like Joe Biden. It's important that you vote for him to get rid of the orange monster, what have you. And I just so that's the sign. Look, that's what the sign says. It's something long. I could look. You know, I'm gonna look <laughs> at my photos. I'm gonna look at my photos because it was a very strange sign. Because I thought to myself, you know, that's not something I would have seen in 2016. The idea would have been, you know, Yasqueen Hillary or Green, right, you know, yeah, well, it was great. It would have been. I think so many people just wrote in Yasqueen Hillary instead of actually <laughs> voting for Hillary. Have they not fucking done that? Those damn Broad City girls, man. They just. Uh... We just thought um, it was their first name. We said it so much. Yeah, so, I mean, that's this whole other question about motivation, which is how many people are motivated despite the other party um, or they're motivated? Because I don't think when I look at the trends and I look at the early uh, voting trends, which, by the way, are accessible because they have this thing called a voter file and they're actually tracking everything you do and they're selling it to organizations like Target Smart, just so you know. Uh, <laughs> just so you know, the youth vote looks fairly uh, lackluster. It's very early. Young, but young like, people are not early voting. Yeah, it, it, they they they're not early voting. It, it would seem, and there's a lot of noise in those numbers. Caveats, caveats, caveats. But that doesn't surprise me. They're not really. They haven't really been given something. They've been given something to oppose, but they haven't really been given something to cheer. Yeah, but right now, I mean, this is, I mean, the question too is that like, is Trump an aberration outside of the political dynamic that he is such a divisive figure and he is such a piece of shit that it like warrants historical thinking as far as like, do we even have this man because of, you know, Facebook? Do we have this man because of these things, because of this new form of media? But, but then, I mean, I just look at it as so analogous to, the election that put the Tories in the power uh, in England, where it was a very similar dynamic to what happened with Trump. And yes, visually Boris Johnson looks Trump-like, but I think in many ways is different. But the dynamic there was that the coal mining rural areas in the north of England, uh, the ones that had traditionally voted Labour, swung wildly in the other direction. And I think that speaks more 
to these overall cultural trends than to Trump himself. Because ultimately, if Biden loses this election, a lot of it is going to be that happening, as happened to Hillary Clinton, in Pennsylvania, in coal mining country, where there's fracking, of a lot of traditional union Democrats swinging to the Republican Party due to the culture wars. So if if Biden does win, what does that mean for these tech companies? Does it mean that they succeeded or does it mean that we should continue on with our death sentence and, you know, antitrust legislation and break these companies up? Or it should it be seen as like, well, they fixed themselves this time well, or should we not or should we discount their influence at all? And it doesn't matter. I mean, I think y- you almost you can't discount their influence in a way. I mean, the funny thing that is less of a point people are making is how weak they make Trump look by doing this. Mm. He has no control over them. You know, Mm -hmm. they operate beyond his jurisdiction, which is interesting. I mean, he can stamp his feet and he can scream and yell about it, but it just doesn't seem like the tools exist to really bring them to heel right now that they are above it. So whatever happens, I don't know. I don't know what outcome would prove their power necessarily, but I think they've already proven their power just by being able to do what they're doing. The bigger question is, are, are they so effective that they can they can orchestrate the nudge um, to any particular ends, or are there just too many considerations and conflicting uh, goals and aims, and it's just too hard, and they they don't really have that have that power? I'm still looking for the I mean- sign. Yeah. I mean, I think, oh, I well, you can it. just, Im- you can imagine it. Oh, what's it say? Okay. It's sort of blocked by another sign that says Ugh. fool America once shame on them. Fool America twice shame on us, which mm. I don't think is a very compelling sign. This is the, I don't like this moralizing stuff. Like you should be optimistic and advocating for something positive, not this whole vote for us or you're bad, but that's, that's neither here nor there. It's, I do like that idea of fool America. I like calling something like, look at fool America, not knowing what it does. It's very Jeremiah Wright, you know, (laughs) not not, fool America. (laughs) Look at what she does. Fool America. It's, it's partially blocked, but there's something about, um, something about it not being excited for Biden uh, <laughs> something, about but you that. have to. I, I I get if you're not excited about Biden, but you have to vote for him to get rid of Big Mouth, is what the sign says. Um, the the Netflix and, show Big Mouth. Most people like that show. I think it was canceled. Um, no, but was it? I thought it was canceled. I thought it was canceled. No, maybe no. I'm, I, I, no. maybe Twitter needs Nicole? to put a warning on me because that's some false information. False I don't information. know. Please, but, uh, this but, misinformation must be flagged. I hope people are talking. I hope people are okay with us talking election. People get people get emotional, man. Understandably, the people it's, it's a big are, deal. The cult it, following of this deal. podcast, they just want to hear the, our, our honest opinions. They want to know where we stand, and they want to know mm-hmm. where we're going to stand in the future. Yeah. Uh, well, we're okay. all voting in the Kentucky election is what we're do you, doing. Do you, right so now. last week, so last week, there's a big report came out from Congress about antitrust, like way to, the way to think about antitrust and breaking up these companies. I, and just to sort of give my take on it, I thought it was a really, it was a very good comprehensive report. I think that the, the narrative around Congress that they don't know what the fuck they're talking about with tech. I think that's, that was the case, but I think it's becoming not the case. There were a lot of good people who were on this, but to me, as, 
as I've said before, a one issue voter, although I mean, yeah. whatever, I guess I vote across a lot of issues, but at this point I'm extremely passionate about just this one thing. To me, it makes me want to vote Democrat because I, I think that the Democrats will actually rein in these companies in a way that makes sense. And I think that if you are against the power that these tech companies wield, I think voting for Trump would not lead to more meaningful regulation to them. I actually think if you are, for whatever reason, if you're thinking about voting Trump because he's tougher on big tech or because he's mad about these things, I actually don't think that he is going to make any effectual change. Whereas I do think that a Democratic uh, administration would based on this report. And that's because most of like it was a lot of there was a lot of dissent among the conservative members of this panel, not this committee, not many. That a lot of people did agree with the conclusions, but they disagreed on what should be done about it. Mm. Yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea. I, I don't know how much will exists within the Democratic Party to rein in big tech or even what reigning in big tech might mean. Um, and so I will plead ignorance on that. Um, I don't I just don't don't know at all. Um, I think they're starting to understand that like what matters, you know, is the advertising revenue. And I think that legislation that, for example, it's, it's so, it's hard for people to I, understand. You know what? There needs to, it, yeah. it, I feel like there needs to be anti-surveillance legislation. Exactly. So I think, but yeah. I think that what people don't understand is that those are one in the same. And this is what that Stoller yeah. article kind of got to. And what I think like people who think a lot about this know, which is that if you make it so that your browser you can click a thing in your brain. You know how you go to every fucking website now and there's like, do you want cookies? Do you want this? Do you, what do you want yeah. tracked? And it's like a fucking nightmare. So instead, what we want is to just bake that into your browser where you just select do not track and it essentially makes it so that no one can track you. And that essentially would kill targeted advertising. And if we kill oh. targeted advertising, then we break the back of the, the monetary flow to these places. So a way that I think about it is it's sort of like, you know how it's like you're, you're voting with your tax or, or it's like the, the roads, the, these are your tax dollars at work. You know what I mean? Like you want you want a nice clean parks. Those are your tax dollars at work. For me, the internet. It's like these are your attention dollars at work. Everything yeah. you do online, the every movement that you make, every website you click on, every page you scroll by, and how long you're on that page is logged and tracked, and then sold to other people for profit. These Including are the attention and and especially the port. <laughs> including and especially I actually don't know I do think rich people are worth more but I think you could probably buy and sell well, tranches probably of some people's attention on mass but there's probably some algorithm you can work um based on what kinds of porn they're into would give you some <laughs> clue as but to what the, sort of what sort of I, William Sonoma merchandise they might want to buy I wish that somebody that this is the thing. I wish that knowing more information about people's habits has led would have led to like cooler and better culture and art and all these things, but it simply yeah. hasn't. It's not like knowing people's well, you, you, most basic inst base desires and porn has led to some uh, breakthrough in other like cultures. Maybe. I mean, well, but you just have, you have evidence of not that with porn, but just how there was a father who was enraged that his teenage daughter was getting, um, getting sort of pregnancy and baby coupons advertised right. to her 
uh, via Target, and it's because Target had this algorithm where they know when women buy X, Y, and Z, um, and it might just be things that women are drawn to buying when they are pregnant, might not even know it yet. I'm still a little unclear on how that all went. But he had to apologize later because it turned out that his teen daughter was was pregnant. Uh, was <laughs> I apologize. I apo- but it's like that's – but these, people, these companies shouldn't have been targeting her for anything. She's a fucking minor. Yeah. And also she's a person. And, and no, Why would any person want to be targeted by to anything? To get her a deal, bro. She was pregnant. Do, she needed I, to get like, a deal. Target me. I just don't want anyone to target me with literally anything. Why would I want to be targeted – by a missile or by an ad. So, but these, these are your attention dollars. And I think that like, yeah. it's a way to think about this where this is the passive labor you're doing all the time, but it's financially beneficial to places like Google and Facebook. They get money from you just existing and there's nothing you can do about it. And, and, and so it's crazy to me that I don't get a say in where my attention dollars go. This is the money that I've made for these companies, but I want that money to go to cooler culture and cooler music and cooler videos and cool shit. But instead, it's going to people, you know, building more like security and reporting infrastructure in Facebook so that they can keep siphoning more ad dollars away from the things that I think are cool. Yeah. And from, you know, employing people who I think deserve to, you know, make content professionally. We reach this weird endpoint of technology where instead of inventing a new steam engine, we're just inventing more creative ways to get you to buy shit you don't need. I mean, that, yeah, that, or or even yeah. we're just inventing more ways to like block like trolls from being able to manipulate you via the tools that these very companies made so that trolls could manipulate. Well, the worst thing about it is the way in which it turns people into manipulators. That's what's frustrating. Oh, yeah. That's the thing. We've all become little propagandists, each one of us. I hate it. I fucking hate it. I I don't – like you're all a bunch of unpaid PR people and you should at least be getting paid for these causes. In a way, I get it. (laughs) In a way, I get it because people are fired up. They think this is very important to them, and they think that the best way they can advocate for whatever they want to happen is by shrieking on Facebook. But I consistently look at it and I go, "You guys all just need an intervention. We well, don't want to hear from you." Like, because- the silent majority of Facebook, whatever their politics, doesn't want to hear this shit. We know, you know, we if we want to look into the election or local elections or propositions. We're going to do it on our own. This is not the right medium for it. And it's become the medium for unhappy people to have this weird outlet to kind of moralize and sanctimoniously uh, just beseech and cajole. And it feels uncomfortable. And sometimes they're in the right or what they're advocating for is correct. But it's uncomfortable because they're trying to manipulate you like they're a brand, even though you've known each other for a while. But the, uh, yeah, yeah. Why, but I yeah. would say these people can't help it because this is what this magazine that they write for for free has told them is successful and what they're supposed to do. When you ideate, when you sit on, you know, you sit on the toilet and you suddenly have like a just a, a huge amount of anger towards Trump or Biden or whatever, you ideate you do something. Right, yeah. you idea, and you're like, oh, what do I do with this idea? That's right. This is the kind of thing that somebody puts on Facebook. I mean, I do the same thing. I don't post jokes on Twitter because I'm fucking. Mm-hmm. That's how I make money, and that's how like you pay. You know, pay me to fucking write. Oh yeah. But I, what I, I do, I, I hit you. I hit you right there. I hit you in a vulnerable spot because you do do this. You are. You are. Uh, you are oh no, but I. Media. Well, yeah. sure, but I no, but I only use social media. I only use Twitter essentially to post. You're a one issue guy, which I yeah, which but I uh, this is what I. But this is what I believe that the platform 
platform for me is what I should be doing with it, I guess, for yeah. no fucking reason. But when I ideate some way of thinking, yeah. hey, this is how you should stop, you know, participating in tech, then I'm like, oh, well, that's what Twitter is for. <laughs> To well, me, also that's what, that's what I've gotten positive reinforcement for. Yeah. Well, but and whatever. I, it, no, I'm, I'm only teasing you because you are one issue in a specific way, uh, an issue that you have become an expert on versus these other people who have this mission creep where they, they just assume that I want to hear from fill in the blank job guy, jackass I've known for years that I, I, I really want his complete I guess I world. actually don't think you should back down I think there's no reason why experts on anything should post on Twitter for free for any reason <laughs> I don't I think it's okay I think it's unhealthy behavior every time I post on Twitter it ends goes well it ultimately ends I, I am more I'm, speaking I'm speaking to the strange joyless cajoling of of the platform and how it's just not a fun service to engage in yeah, and maybe none of these platforms are, are conducive to yeah. cool and fun and I would say, again, I think we've talked about it. I just wish people could use it in the way my mother-in-law uses it. She and her little cadre of friends seem to use this medium of Facebook correctly. She uh, is a younger senior citizen. All her friends are of that age. All they do, all she does is share pictures of my son and her friends say how cute he is, and then she looks at pictures of their grandchildren, and she says, "Oh my God, they're so cute!" And that's all they do. That's all. That's the way they use it. That and it's reinforcing be... this bubble, and their ideology is just more and more of cutism about how cute are these kids? Kids are so cute. I mean, it's. Uh, I, I think it's it's really quite ideal. Yeah, it's they've quite radicalized optimal. to how cute your kid is. Ethan, your kid ain't that fucking. <laughs> Well, but the the point is all they're doing is trading good vibes. That's all they're doing when I look. And I'm sure she has friends who are not doing that. But that is not my – when I log on to the Facebook, uh, I I do not see that. I just see pain and I see distress (laughs) and I see uh, sanctimony um, and I see anger. I see the rejection. The rejection of people, the proud announcements of how you're not going to talk to people of a certain bent or a certain ilk and – it just is a very unhappy yeah. place. And what's so funny is that everybody thinks that that place is the same for everybody. But then I, you know, I've got a buddy who is from Ohio. He's from rural Ohio. He showed me his Facebook feed of the people he grew up with. And I mean, it's the most obvious thing, but it's so jarring. Like sometimes the most obvious. The most I would love to see other people's Facebook feeds. Yeah, yeah. It was Irish, right? This is the dumbest point, but I, I covered basketball for years, and I was used to going into an NBA locker room. And then uh, on a lark, I covered a couple baseball games. And when I walked into the baseball clubhouse, it was just visually jarring to suddenly see people who were shorter than I was uh, <laughs> because my brain. My brain was so used to to looking up. Yeah, even play. without thinking about it, even without thinking about it, and I really I felt dizzy from it. It was just because it would be, it had been years, you know. I had been going into NBA locker rooms for like a decade, and then right. suddenly, and I know, and it was. It's also it's on the same premises that the Warriors play on, right? Uh, right. It's suddenly, so it's just it's like a I walk in, and it's lockers. Order. All the signals are like all the signals are communicating to my brain that. That the people, you know, outside their lockers, they're in the setting, here. 
Yes, right. and I had the same feeling when he showed me his phone and his Facebook feed because suddenly everything's conservative and, right. you know, angry at Biden and totally Trumpy. And yes, like no shit that exists. That obviously exists. We all know that exists. But there was something crazy about being so used to the visual Pavlovian cues of Facebook mm. and what I am used to seeing. Yeah, totally. Living you know, living. Well, I think uh, for someone like you, it'd be Berkeley. better. I, I think for like a dyed in the wool like contrarian, I kind of wish that your feed was filled with that sort of shit, so that you would start like contrarian in it back to the, to, to the dirt bag left where you belong. nobody knows where i nobody knows where i belong i kind of like having people just argue about it i think that's (laughs) that's what's truly what's weird is just people caring what other people uh, like where other people are at is the other strange Mm. dynamic to this whole thing Mm. and now you need all your facebook friends in berkeley california to be fired up about trump (laughs) you need them all to be so angry that's really going to turn the time they're not whipped up they're not gonna uh amy mcgrath is gonna lose if they're not one, whipped up into a friends. Right, one last thing about this, and then we're going to get into the we're going to get into some shit. The uh, yeah. I will say so trolling around Facebook, which I, so Facebook reactivates my account like every six months or something like that, and I have to like go back in and 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 delete it. But I, I'll I'll often take that opportunity to like poke around and like I was you know lurking on QAnon groups and shit like that for a while. <laughs> and I will say this: watching 4chan for this election, that 4chan is like nowhere near what it was for 2016. As far as like being pro-Trump, there's barely yeah. any meme warfare going so, so, on there. So the, so the Trump youth vote is shot, is what you're At saying. At least as far as 4chan goes. I mean, maybe it could have all like gone over to some sort of like edgy Discord channels or something like that. But but, but that's kind of my point. However, just poking around Facebook, I saw very easily I was able to find far more heinous, like anti-Semitic, racist, and like insane memes and things being said on Facebook than you could find at that time on 4chan and i thought that was crazy to me that you if you right now are an engineer working for facebook there's no difference between what you're like working for facebook or working for 4chan there's to me as far as like the the client the number of people posting abhorrent things to anybody i think free speech or not and again i you know people have a right to post to say whatever they want this is why i defend 4chan but like you shouldn't work for facebook and think that you are in any way better than somebody you know running the servers for 4chan because there's much more important things going on all over Facebook than there are on 4chan. That's interesting. Well, there's always, and then there's always a trap there, right? Because, um, <laughs> to, to stifle anti-Semitism when the criticism is often that Jews control the media yeah, from right, these people, yeah, right, yeah. it becomes this sort of self-reinforcing. Why do you, why do, why do you want me to not talk about, to, to, why do you not want me to deny the Holocaust? <laughs> Sir, it's because I'm right that the, the Holocaust is so fucking stupid. All right, I, mean, all right, all right, yeah. I, I want to get into it, Ethan. I want to talk, I want to argue a little bit with you about this NBA stuff. Oh, you mean this the, thing the that ratings. I'm far better educated on yes, than you are? <laughs> the ratings, correct. I want to do it. I want to do it. I okay. want to do it. I want to get mean, this hey, you down. Be, you, you would not be the first, Matt. You would <laughs> like, get in line. All right, all right, all right. Well, because we had talked about this before, and I was wondering if your thinking had evolved at all, where I do – I think that – I mean, obviously, the number of the numbers in NBA ratings are down. Uh, mm. And I think that you know maybe you can make the case that – some people, and this is what we've sort of talked about, that I, I can certainly see 
that conservative viewers right now, especially for the finals, maybe aren't flipping over to the NBA finals versus an NFL game or something. Conservative sports fans, maybe mm-hmm. they are a little turned off by the BLM or even like, because I mean, it's two counts right now. Not only is there so much like BLM stuff going on in NBA, but there's also so much like coronavirus is bad stuff. You know, it's mm-hmm. the bubble. That was the whole point of this. So if right now, ideologically, you're not well, on board a, with BLM yeah. or with the coronavirus, then you're not going to like the NBA final playoffs. And I can understand I can see people maybe not flipping over, but to me, and, and, and you're, I think that a far bigger reason for the decline in ratings has been because they have not been, they have basic, I, they haven't been advertising to all of America, to people who even would tune into the, to, to the playoffs. I didn't see a single in my entire, I did not see a single advertisement or any piece of media directing me to the NBA playoffs. And I, it's because I simply do not watch television. It's a traditional yeah. television. And to be clear, you live in Los Angeles and the Lakers yes. won the NBA championship. I, and this is incredibly embarrassing, but I hadn't really been following. I've been following. I didn't, I found out that the Lakers won the championships when I heard fire. And, and yet, and yet you, and yet you rioted. It just, again, Pavel yeah, well, that's, I'm a lib. It I, kicked in. I live there where I must. I live there where I must. I was thinking more like you're just an LA resident they, and the Lakers won the championship. You just have to know, you know, and enjoy. I wish I was so unencumbered as to do things like that sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, just because my sports team won. Um, There's there's an insane one in Vancouver. Riding over sports team is so funny. It's yeah, it's just an outgrowth of drunk. I mean, I think it's just people getting drunk. People want to fight. People want to burn. Yeah. Well, um, so did they do a bad job advertising it? Maybe. Um, You know, but I, I think bigger than that, though. I think it's a much. I think it's equally or more so a function of people no longer watching traditional television. And that's the domain that sports but why would it, still live. The question is, why would it be now? You know, this is a long running trend in theory. Well, and it has been long. For one, it has been a long running trend. I do think though, I think like things happen a little bit, a little bit, and then a lot. I think that like the collapse, you know, you could even use the theory that like, you know, like Scott Galloway, if you like, he kind of has been throwing this out on the pivot podcast, which I like a lot, which is great that like, it's kind of like we've jumped ahead 10 years in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And it's like that this, uh, the pandemic, some years, nothing happened. It was it some decades, nothing happens. Some years, decades happen that, uh, that, that yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's an interesting idea that people went so streaming heavy and television is almost the self-reinforcing medium exactly. where right. you learn what to watch on television. Right. Yeah, you, you learn what to watch on television by watching television. You're watching network television and they say, hey, we're also having the NBA Finals. You know, I right. know you're enjoying this episode of Scandal, but there's also the NBA Finals. And you go, oh, It's an okay. ecosystem you are within that is self-reinforcing and self-promoting. Yeah. And I think that there's an element of that. I do think that people went more for streaming than TV because TV stopped producing content. I mean, they ran out of content by and large. People couldn't be on set. And when they were on set, it was under all of these restrictions. The product wasn't as good. Um, I know the soap operas have been up again, but they have less makeup and everybody's having a phone conversation. And Mm. so that would drive people, I think, more towards the streaming services than towards the standard TV services. And I don't know what's going on with game shows, but I would assume that you couldn't have game shows that people are used to watching. And some of those game shows get huge numbers, you know, way bigger numbers than the NBA finals got, actually. 
Um, so, you know, I think Jeopardy pretty much. Yeah. The finals of Jeopardy. Well, the, the Jeopardy like tournament of champions was like, we, I mean, we watched that, (laughs) but that I knew that was going on because I was watching because somebody said something at like Julie's work about it. And then we started watching it and then we were like Mm -hmm. hooked and then we were reinforced because they told us to tune into the next one. So you're losing, you're losing a bit of contagion there. And I do think it's a multi-factor issue, uh, to be clear. I don't think you're wrong. I think this is part of the story, as is all these games suddenly overlapping in the fall is part of the story. But I think when it comes to the NBA and viewership, people don't have the full story, at least in my industry. There's been this strong will to deny the facts of it two years running Mm. because it's become part of the culture war. And not only Mm. do you have a lot of people who have some self-esteem invested in the NBA doing well, um, a lot of conservatives now like drinking NBA tears and are going mm. to blast out and have, you know, they're going to be Breitbart headlines about people not watching the NBA. And so that provokes a response by people within my industry, um, almost none of whom are, you know, on the right and want the NBA to do well to say, well, it can't be true because this mm. is the outgroup. The outgroup what, cannot What be Trump correct. say bad. And so when Trump tweets yes. NBA ratings. Well, and, and, Trump is, and Trump is going after NBA ratings right. and saying they're lower. The problem is, is that it's true. The viewership's terrible. Um, the context doesn't help. They always have these, um, they, they get the propaganda spiel. It's often pushed, I think, by the league office of how to contextualize the bad news because the league office is very nervous about this. And internally, they were not happy with the finals numbers. But then they start pointing out that, well, these other sports had you know viewership down. And viewership is down for everybody. And they use these examples like uh, these you know U.S. Open and golf and U.S. Open and tennis and um, a few other one-off annual tournaments that happen to go against an NFL Sunday, which is not how you would analyze those. And that is the mm-hmm. obvious answer for what happened. So it's misleading, but it's also kind of true too. You know, there is this overlap that is putting a drag on the numbers. But I think what people aren't quite understanding, unless you're really nerdy and deep in the weeds on it, is the scale of what the fuck just happened in the NBA. The scale is unbelievable. And people are comparing the... 2020 finals to the 2019 finals but the problem with that is that the 2019 finals involved a canadian team so when you start comparing the nba finals of 2020 to 2017 or 2016 what you're looking at is a third of the audience that you recently had a fucking third that just doesn't happen and even if there are extenuating circumstances, and even if there are explanations that possibly mitigate what has occurred, it is enough to give the suits on Fifth Avenue in New York who run the NBA absolute vertigo because when you lose two-thirds of your audience, there's no guarantee that you're getting it back. You know, they hope, maybe, you know, maybe they get half the audience back. Maybe they get the whole audience back, but there's just no guarantee of it. And I think that particular context, knowing that you had a finals with the Lakers and LeBron James that got a third, a third, when you take into account the out-of-home viewing numbers, a third of the audience you got for finals between the Cavs and the Warriors, um, that is, regardless of circumstances, I think something that is at least a story, something to look into. Well, yeah, no, well, nobody's saying it's not a story. I, but I, well, so to well, my... yeah, a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of people are. A lot of people were. I mean, because I was talking about this for two years, and I think maybe we can analogize it to what's going on with the election where 
people are curating their news according mm-hmm. to what makes them feel good. Mm-hmm. And they're rejecting information that doesn't make them feel good. Mm-hmm. And so you can get in this position of just denying reality and always having an answer okay. for why something, you know, I, I again, to bring it back to the election, maybe the polls are totally, uh, totally accurate. We're going to wake up on November 4th. And Biden will have won by 10 nationally. It's 400 electoral votes. Uh, Senate has gone to the Democrats and will go, yes, the polls were totally right. But I should be seeing more of a look from these publications about what the hell is going on with registrations. That should be reconciled. And I feel as though the reason that's not happening is because it doesn't make my peer group feel good to think about it. It's not the news they want. It's not what they want to mole. And so they're just going to push it away. And I think you can look at that and so many other things um, and see why we are not coming into the agreement about the nature of trends and reality. Well, I mean, so there's a question of like, is this what people are pushing out on sharing on their social media feeds and what that conversation is about? Yeah. Or is this what editors are greenlighting as far as stories and as far as things that they're looking into? Because those well, two you, things are not necessarily the New York Times the is in. I mean, the New York Times as a subscription service is in the business of customer service. And um, I think subscriptions are a better guarantee of uh, quality than advertising, I think, as we both agree. Mm-hmm. But they've, you know, they've done survey market research data and 91% of the people who subscribe to the New York Times are Democrat or Democrat leaning. Um, That creates a certain incentive structure, right, where you want to, I mean, your audience wants something specific. (laughs) They want something specific. And I I do, yeah, I do think what they want, what they want is Biden up 16. What they don't want is... Biden lost 200,000 registration edge in Pennsylvania and Florida. I don't think that's what they want to look at right now. Yeah. And well, it okay, might not matter. The, For all I know, it doesn't matter. But going but, yeah. back to the so, but to me, I very much think there's still a, a like a liberal narrative to what's going on with the NBA that I think is interesting to all people. Which is for one, okay. So one, my question is to you: Does this one third down? Does that does that actually mean that only one third of the people who watch? A, a finals like 2017 we're actually nba fans and two-thirds of the people who tune into a game like that are casual fans mm. like how many nba fans actually are there that's actually something that kind of it almost like it separates the wheat from the chaff here in a, yeah. in a way where it's like what is your core demographic and why aren't you like you could argue it as i am you're not getting the casual fans because somebody like me i couldn't even watch the playoffs because yeah. I don't have pay cable. Yeah, there was they, nothing, there was no way to really watch. confounding. There, there are a lot of Gen Z people who classify themselves as NBA fans who don't bother to watch an NBA game. Right. And I don't know. What to, I don't know what to do with that information. Yeah. Well, I mean, but this is another example to me of like social media ripping apart institutions like this for so many reasons. One, they're incentivized not to, you know, basically people are incentivized not to necessarily watch television because you can still watch the highlights on YouTube or on Twitter. You can still get all of that, but in a condensed way, you're too depressed to look up from your phone and try to figure out how to watch these games. Anyways, <laughs> you're like so sucked into whatever the fuck is going on. Well, uh, or, or, or it's something where the NBA is now part of this overall cultural marker that you've got some cultural affinity to, but that doesn't mean that you actually have an intrinsic gravitation to it and mm. you actually enjoy the games. It's a it's a brand, right? It's it's a hashtag. Um, it doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. connote any deeper level of interest. It's an, it's it's an advertising scheme for sneakers. 
It's the book. It's yeah. Well, that too. It's the book you want to be seen as having read, as opposed right. to the book you're going to take off your bookshelf mm-hmm. to actually read. So it's I infinite, mean, what, it's infinite jest. It's infinite jest. Past the NBA is infinite jest for yeah. for, the, for Gen Z. I mean, I because I do think, but no matter. So what I had said to you earlier, it's like, well, why didn't so. To me, the most damning things are that not only was this the year of Kobe, not only was this LeBron at the Lakers and all that shit, but this was also, and there was like a whole story around this, but this was also the, the year that Le- The Last Dance came out. And by all yeah. accounts, The Last Dance was a huge hit and a yeah. crossover hit. My wife loved, this would have been yeah. like the year to convert me and my wife over to the NBA if, by just the last telling that story and drawing that line from yeah. The Last Dance to the NBA playoffs. If the last dance was on network TV, it would have gotten more viewers than the NBA finals did. And it got more viewers on cable than any of the conference finals games got. And it mm-hmm. was this nostalgia piece. It was this crossover hit. And I did, and I do think it's, it spoke to a time where people were more into the NBA, where the NBA had more fans. And we've seen a lot of, uh, kind of I think interest collapsed domestic interest collapsed and I do think there's a a political component if we want to go back to the touchy topics the fraught topics that my friends and colleagues I mean what's so weird Matt is how they don't want to admit that it's a factor I am happy to admit that there is a range of factors that's how you get a phenomenon as big as one-third of the audience but a lot of them are just going into the situation knowing what the answer cannot be I know what the answer cannot be you know, Darren Ravel says, uh, politics has nothing to do with it. And mm. I think it does. I think it does. I think uh, a lot of middle America, a lot of Republican voting America had more cultural affinity for the NBA back in the 90s than it does right now. Now, maybe you want to indict them and blame them for that. Um, and but it just seems it just seems like that's probably a factor. What has happened is a phase shift. This is different. This did not happen in the past. The NBA is the enemy of conservative media right now. They are getting hammered by conservative media in a way that you did not see in 2015, for instance. Right, you know, but so you, a lot of con- you're in a Trump neighborhood. You're yeah, in a Trump a neighborhood. Of- you don't want a neighbor walking by and seeing that you've got the NBA on. <laughs> well, I don't know. All I know is that a Republican NBA fan in 2015 would have nothing to reconcile. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing to reconcile. You live in Oklahoma City. You're a fan of the NBA. You vote Republican. Nobody would say, well, how do you do that? Don't they, like, hate what you stand for or anything like that? That just wouldn't – you wouldn't have to do any mental legwork. But now – you know, and you, if you look at the numbers, I think it's uh, as far, you know, I've looked at market research on it. Um, I think a lot of people, because the NBA is the blue state sport, might think that NBA fans are, I don't know, 90%. Dem- they're not. It's uh, the M- Democrats outnumber Republicans two to one among NBA fans. At least they did before all of this. Um, and yeah, that's more Democrats than Republican, but that's a lot of Republicans. That's, you know, Tony Gwynn, to use the baseball hero of our youth, Matt, uh, mm-hmm. gets a hit one out of three times. So, you know, I, I think that it, it has to be a factor. This hasn't happened before where the entire sport has become the enemy of all of conservative media to think that that has no impact on the, um, you know, third or whatever it is of Republican to right-leaning NBA fans and their decisions, um, 
I, I just think that's that's fantasy land. And then I have to wonder, what's the source of the fantasy? Why wouldn't you just admit that that's a, a component? I think it's probably rooted in not wanting the NBA to shut down the activism if you like the activism, and you're worried about the suits taking well, that but you don't even, cue. Yeah. All right, I guess, but you don't even need that. The, the thing is, is like you can still hold, for one, I mean, there's obviously the argument that it wouldn't, you know, that it's important to make these kinds of stances, whether or not, you know, people, whether it affects viewership or not, which I think is, you know, and so it's braver to take these stances, whether yeah. if, even if ratings go down, but it still should, I think, to me, I think that would be an intellectually honest position, but the position more commonly is it's brave to take the stance and the stance is no downsides. Yeah. <laughs> well, but make, I, but, but I still think sense. you can, but, but here, I still think that, so for example, then the conversation changes to, okay, there are still millions of people who, who, who like either aren't turned off by, or would be into these political messages. And why are we not serving basketball to them as like a great well, product that's, and that story is, machine that you can get behind? Okay. So that's a great point by you. And I think if we were having a more intellectually honest conversation on this subject, instead of getting mad at the messenger getting mad at me, which I'm biased against people getting mad at me. I'm not into it, but maybe they should be going, <laughs> I love hey, getting mad at you. Me personally, yeah. I love getting mad at you. That's they mostly should be going like, like, hey, NBA, why are you so reliant on the Republican fans? Why haven't you grown the game with this with this whole cohort that you're chasing, that you talk about as the future? This, <laughs> like, uh, well, they were courting communist fans for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm talking True about the I'm talking about the CCP, baby. Real communists. Uh, well, that's this whole other thing. I mean, right, I which, which, which we should, which whatever. But, but so yeah. the, the point I asked you is like, okay, this is happening. We're seeing that t traditional television ratings are down right now. You're in, you're fucking playing the playoffs at Walt Disney World. Why mm. didn't, why weren't strings pulled so that a good number of the playoff games were being streamed for, for, you know, on Disney plus, for example, I think why wouldn't they try to meet their viewers where they are? I think probably because they had some sort of that would hurt ESPN overall, and they're trying to build up what ESPN's I mean, content it's is putting out. Totally there. like corporations lumber, but right? But like you're, something you're, like yeah. that. It, but it's still that's a solution you could present as like that would have been an interesting thing to try, and you yeah. just needed to flip a couple switches to try it. But yeah. why didn't you? You know, and and well, I I think because the nature of a corporation as large as Disney is one hand doesn't know what the other hand is doing, and it's right. any sort of maneuver is like trying to turn a massive sure, and especially during COVID. I mean, these guys, ship. you know, whatever. I'm sure they're like fucking thinking but, about a but, million yeah, that, things that or probably whatever. Would've, I don't care. Why but, should, why but I, I do caring? think. Well, I do think that this should be part of the conversation. I do think that people should be saying instead of getting angry at anybody who notices the collapse in viewership, they should go, well, NBA, like why am I making all these excuses for these billionaires? Maybe yeah. they should do their jobs better. Maybe they should get more people in the basketball in the United States. Maybe they should start converting these younger viewers um, into people who would watch a game or spreading the gospel of the NBA with academies. That's what they do in China. They have a they have academies out in China, and and they end up having scandals because the coaches physically abuse the players, and it doesn't work out so great. <laughs> but I believe that we could have that in America minus the physical abuse and just – you know, spread the gospel of NBA basketball, basketball, but there's no real pressure on the NBA to do it. We're locked in this culture war. We have to just be in denial and pretend like the NBA. I mean, the reason I like talking about this stuff, because the NBA is this weird proxy for the Democratic Party. They're totally 
Um, they kind of run parallel in their anxieties and in their sorts of pathways uh, to power. Where well, this is what I learned because I'm working on a thing about this. But you know, Larry O'Brien, what he you know what he did before he was the commissioner was he was the DNC chair who got who, he, who, his office was the one broken into during Watergate. There's a direct connection between the DNC I like and I almost the NBA. Want to bleep, I almost want to bleep that out so I can use it in the book I'm writing. But it's so perfect. <laughs> if you look at back in the 1990s to early aughts, the NBA was so anxious about white middle America rejecting their black sport. That's what animated David Stern. And so he had these draconian punishments when players fought even if in white hockey they were just allowed to beat the hell out of each other and everybody thought it was cool uh david had draconian punishments and he he installed a dress code because he didn't like that alan iverson was wearing a do-rag and so you know making the players wear suits and you know around that time in the democratic party you've got oh my god we're losing middle america how do we seem like we're with that demo. Let's put John Kerry in flannel and have him kill some mm. ducks. And, you know, they they were really worried about it. But then, but then what happens? Uh, Obama wins with this whole new coalition and it's diverse and it's young and the emerging Democratic majority comes out as a book and it's, well, that those middle America people are the past. Screw them. We don't need them anymore and we're going to win the demographic war. And around that time, the NBA has LeBron James happen and they're doing great again. They're out of the post-Michael Jordan doldrums and, you know, we're going to do that and we're going to go global. We're going to go to China. We really don't need these uh, white bread mm-hmm. Americans. And then, you know, analogous, it seems like maybe they got a little too, uh, <laughs> they, they saw the future as Scott Galloway seems to see it um, and, and fast forwarded to the end and might've gotten a little, might've hit, hit a snag, mm-hmm. hit a snag because of that. Broke the, the tape. Uh, they fast forwarded too fast and they broke the tape and now they broke Blockbuster the will be mad at you and force you to pay full price <laughs> for the cassettes. But, now you won't even get to own. Yeah. But but you know they they seem to they seem to run parallel. It's really interesting mm-hmm. that uh, NBA, the blue state sport, and the Democratic Party seem to kind of be propelled by similar considerations and anxieties and uh, you know fantasies. And uh, it still it still continues today. And you know in a way I I don't know I don't know who's more in trouble. I mean according to the polls it would be the the NBA right now. <laughs> but uh, we we shall see. Yeah, well, you can still write in sports for president, Ethan, if you want to. Sports for president, sports. sports. For, yeah, I, man. I mean, I'm nervous, man. I, I, I think, but that's well, the, a I, lot of people. A lot of quant people in sports uh, donated to Yang. By the way, is something I noticed mm, today. Or yeah. a friend showed to me today. Yeah, yeah Daryl Morey, who just uh, stepped down as GM of the Rockets when we're recording this, was a, a Yang donator, which huh. is a little bit interesting. Yeah, and Yang likes basketball, right? He's he's basketball friendly. He follows, I mean, he follows everybody on Twitter, but he follows me on Twitter. Man. There it is. There it is. I teed it up for him. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I do not understand the ins and outs of, uh, of <laughs> as you point out, of this rating stuff. But to me, I do think there's like a, li- I don't know. There's like, I don't, I don't know why this would be so controversial when you can, when there's a meaningful conversation to be had, I think from both sides here. Again, it's the culture war. I mean, there are a variety of aspects. I mean, something I've noticed, I do think people in NBA media are a little touchier about it because it's our thing. And if our thing Mm. is not doing as well, that's Well, then you're not not doing it. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, your jobs aren't in jeopardy if people are not watching. (laughs) When I brought this up to friends of mine who are non-media NBA fans, they go, oh yeah, okay, well, that's interesting. That makes sense. And, you know, blah, 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 blah. They don't, they don't, care so much it's not so much of a factor but 
you know, I think the NBA, I mean, they had a really bad situation with Mark Cuban just keeps doing all these interviews and I just don't think it's helping them very much and did an interview <laughs> with Megan Kelly where he's defensively going, China's our customer, okay? It is just, oh, no, it was Mark just, Cuban was defending China. <laughs> he was just with, I mean, I will, China. this China stuff is a bad look for everybody involved. I mean, I you can understand that it blew up in the NBA's face, but I mean, come on, man. Hong Kong and the Uyghurs and like, I, there's no reason to give the right any moral high ground on any of these issues because they would literally do the oh, same I, exact thing in this country oh, if they could. But, oh, contraire. There are billions of dollars of reasons. <laughs> right, 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 right. It's, uh, <laughs> oh, man. It, was, it was just a fascinating standoff because she kept going, do you condemn the ethnic cleansing in China is like, I condemn all forms of ethnic cleansing, but do you condemn the form of China? I condemn all forms of, it was just, oh, no. it was very They're much. fine people it, on both sides. Proud boys well, stand by. Oh, it kind no. of mirrored, it sort of mirrored the all lives matter thing from a different perspective. It was like, it was so strange to, to, to all hear All genocides it, but, are bad. All genocides yeah. are bad. So but that what about includes this one? whatever the one you're talking about that I don't know anything about. Whatever. <laughs> If it's happening, if what you're saying is happening, I condemn it. But I mean, <laughs> it was. I, I don't think he's helping them. I what are you talking about? You're talking about the helping. epidemic of new preschools and kindergartens in China. <laughs> I, I have no problem with this. I think kids should do do better when they're taken away from their parents. Uh, you know what? Uh, kids are, are learning remotely right now. Don't you think a kid would do better if they were taken from their parents for many years and put into some sort of prison-like just- castle? I just wonder, like, how does the NBA benefit? How does Mark Cuban benefit from him doing a, a podcast with Megan Kelly and getting grilled oh, on this? Just, I, I mean, you know what? C- credit to him. Credit to him for for facing the uh, facing the heat, facing the fire. Um, and okay, sharks. Humility. What I have for you, sharks. What I have for you <laughs> is a product that makes it so that when you say something, the people of China hear it one way, and the people of America hear it another way. <laughs> Will you invest? It's a prism. It's a verbal prism, and it's a, with a rainbow of different words that come out of it, depending hey, on what we, we say, depending on where the viewer stands. I mean, look, I, I appre- let's not disincentivize him from, uh, from making himself so available. Although, he's always coming out against me. He's always criticizing me for talking about this rating Mark stuff. Mark Cuban so. is? Yeah, uh, really? yeah, yeah. Uh, so I've uh, I've made an enemy of the Shark Tank man, um, uh, and I need to be unbiased, man. I need okay, unbiased, Sharks, I've man. got Ethan's head on a platter here. Would you... <laughs> <laughs> okay, oh, Sharks, God. it's like it's like a it's like a Uyghur concentration camp. It's like a Uyghur concentration camp, but just for Ethan Strauss. Oh, what do you, What do you think, Sharks? <laughs> oh man, I don't know. I'm, I'm such a troublemaker, Matt. I don't want to be. It just happens. It just, it just happens. happens. I don't. I don't know. I just the thing I'm not supposed to think is the thing I'm going to think reliably yeah. every single time. Your problem, single... Ethan, is that you know when to hold them, but you don't know when to walk away. I don't know when to fold them, <laughs> but I did know when to fold them on social media. I don't oh, yeah, really that's... engage yeah. on Twitter. That's good, for the mind. I, that's good for the mind. Barely. Barely. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you do it anyway. If, if anybody says anything even close to negative about something that I've said, I immediately am terrified. Oh, I get, I, I have so much of that all the time, and I just look at it as 
it's tempting, but it's rhetorical quicksand. Mm-hmm. And you just end up looking narcissistic right. to no people matter who what. are looking to you for information and content. They don't care about your battle over your reputation. They don't give a shit. No. They feel about you however they feel about you, and you just kind of alert more people. You strike sand effect yourself to bring it all, all the yeah, way back. Yeah, yeah. You fight these battles. You just introduce the thought to more people that there's something up with you. And I just don't want to derive a lot of my personal satisfaction from how people are treating me on that medium. That's just not mm-hmm. where I want to be. Um, yeah. I think it's a trap. I think so. that should be where none of us should be. And I think that's why we should delete these platforms. All right. Ethan, yeah. I think we've potted for, be, this is going to be the Carthage. We must destroy Carthage. The, the Cicero It was Cicero, right? which is funny. Cause that's what Zuckerberg always, that's what like Zuckerberg's whole thing is that like this, like Roman fucking, this is the, yeah. Jew, this Jew who for some reason fucking idolizes the like most brutal of Romans. Uh, I wonder if somebody's going to excerpt you saying that and uh, not know you're Jewish despite your name being Matt Kleiman. You just said you, you really leaned into Jew the way you the way you. I'm said allowed it. to do like, it. I'm a, the, the, dude, the dude. The it, dude. It's 2020, and he finally just acknowledged that that uh, Holocaust denial might be something that he should think about uh, regulating on his massive platform. I mean, I, there was there is an argument to be made that I was listening to a podcast of Alex Stamos and the Kara Swisher one where he, where he insinuates that part of it is because one of Zuckerberg, he doesn't want to be seen as biased. And because he has a personal history with the Holocaust, that by banning Holocaust, it would make him seem biased. Person, by the way, <laughs> which is you, really funny. Is, is Kara Swisher just the most Jewish person who's not Jewish? <laughs> I remember her saying I'll she's not her. Jewish. I'll claim her. Does it? I feel like she. There's a Rachel Dolezal thing happening, Jewish wise. <laughs> yeah. When are we going to cancel? When are we going to cancel Swisher for appropriate? I feel the way she talks. Even her name sounds like Swisher. it could be. It just feels like a psyop. Yeah. Well, she quit. She does a lot of like quibbling kind. You know what I mean? She quibbles like in the way that we kind of you know. And she caveat and she you know she jumps in and. I yeah. think it's fine. I like it. I think she's taken the best of our culture she, and she's, she's elevated she's, it with whatever hers is. She's got a very Jewish manner for a non-Jewish person. <laughs> I can't think of many. The only person I can think of really in those ranks would be her mortal enemy, which would be Donald Trump, who's like mm. a, a pushy – like he's like a pushy New York Jew who is not Jewish. Um, yeah. And nobody in the Jewish community outside of maybe the uh, the Hasids would want to admit it. Um <laughs> yeah, well, but, maybe he gets that from Gary Cohn, right? Motherfucking. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. Gary Cohn, yeah, was his sort of model for behavior in many ways. Yeah. But he does not have a wasp manner, is is no, what we should no. say. He is far more like far more like Roddy Dangerfield in Caddyshack. <laughs> Which you know, I didn't know this, but looking back, I mean, so much of uh, content like that back in the day was this battle between wasps and Jews. And you mm. see that reflected in movies, and that's all Caddyshack is. That's all Caddyshack is. It's just wasps versus Jews. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you've got your wasps. We long for the days of wasps versus Jews. Wasp versus Jew. Ron versus Jail. Wasp versus Jew. <laughs> you just made a reference nobody will get. Nobody will understand. That doesn't matter. It speaks to the depth of our friendship. All right, Ethan, I'm going to call it here because it's it's offensive to have a podcast longer than 90 minutes. That's what I think. Uh, wasp. Maybe that's a wasp. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a that's podcast white American Protestant be, The podcast must be an hour and 30 minutes. What will offend my sensibilities? <laughs> uh, All right, man. Good talking to you. Good talking to you, Matt. All right. See ya. Later.